Welcome to the Spiritual Burnout Podcast, a podcast about the process of spiritual, emotional, and ministerial burnout, as well as the journey of recovery. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to the Spiritual Burnout Podcast. Uh, last episode, which would be the first episode, was an interview with Dr. Charles Halton. And if you haven't listened to that, I highly encourage you to go back, listen to that. Um, I am very grateful for his story, his uh, willingness and his openness to share his story and kind of uh, some of the things that he learned from that. So just to kind of recap some of last week, uh, I really appreciate his uh, conversation about transactional relationships versus um, human relationships or basically just being, you know, loved as we are and not so much as we do. He spoke of a culture that is created that can oftentimes leave us um, basically only so good as what we do and, and maybe our title or uh, what we can perform. And then when those things stop and we stop being able to produce, you know, X or whatever it is that you're uh, that you do, that oftentimes that relationship can be cut off and other people just kind of either ignore you um, or you get shunned or um, and those kind of things. It also can lead to an identity sort of crisis where, hey, th- this thing that I've been pouring myself into, uh, when I'm no longer doing that, who am I? And so he kind of went into that and shared his own story. And um, so I'm thankful for him and I'm thankful that he did that. Uh, even since then, I have had probably... Gosh, I don't maybe four or five people uh, ask me to share my story, and I did not initially want to begin with my story because one, I didn't want to look like a narcissist, and uh, two, I uh, wanted to be very delicate and 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 very uh, patient and very kind uh, in the telling of my story, and so I decided that I would tell my story. And I'm going to break it down into three parts. Basically, I'm going to kind of do a quick synopsis of uh, what kind of led to my burnout. I'm going to then, uh, the second half will be kind of my hurt, uh, the aftermath of that. And then three, um, I want to share some details of the healing process for me and, and some of the tools and the resources and, and some of the ways that in which God has kind of been speaking to me and uh, loving on me in the midst of the healing process. And I hope that that encourages somebody. I hope that uh, that can drive someone um, to Jesus. I, I pray that it turns them back to um, to God and, and to, to say, hey, it's, it's okay to not be okay. And for all of us to have it, everything together is a lie. And um, so, yeah. So to begin my story, um, out of respect, just kind of for uh, the people involved, I, I, I won't name names. I'm not going to name uh, the church name or the institution or anything like that. I, I just don't think that that would be incredibly helpful. But, but here we go. So I graduated uh, from seminary in uh, 2014 and uh, became on staff at a church doing student ministry and um, did that for probably a, about a year and a half to close to two years, which then led to uh, me becoming an elder, and uh, which led to then me doing student ministry, uh, preaching, 
um, Sunday morning service three times, uh, three weeks in a row, being off a week, uh, doing, doing marriage counseling with people, uh, personal counseling with, with people, uh, while also working a full-time job in technology. Um, and in that time and in that season, having a baby and all of those kind of things. So it, it, it became very quick, uh, very overwhelming, very fast. And so that was something that I didn't know how to set a healthy boundary. And I kept just saying yes to things. And I kept just feeling like, okay, well, if I can do it, then I should do it, which I think is a, is a red flag. Um, so if you're at a place where you're thinking, okay, well, I can do this. Just because you can do something, I'm learning, does not mean or doesn't mean that you have to do it. It doesn't mean that you should do it. And we need to learn healthy boundaries. And so as I begin to learn healthy boundaries, in that process on staff at that church, I attempted to set those boundaries with people inside the church, with members, um, with staff, with deacons. And um, those were not well received. And in my experience, um, unhealthy people don't understand healthy boundaries. And so when you set a healthy boundary or what you find to be a healthy boundary, sometimes it's not well received. Um, When you approach a a person who's emotionally in a healthy place that understands boundaries and you tell them no to something, they may feel um, hurt by that, but eventually they get over it and then they understand the need of the boundary. Um, But unhealthy people in that arena do not. And so what ends up happening with that is anger and resentment and, uh, you know, this competition in terms of performance and, and all those kind of things kind of come into play. So basically part of the burnout, like I said, was just how much I was doing, um, you know, and uh, the pastor of the church had left and uh, him and I were not on the best of terms when he left. And uh, there were some different situations in which, um, you know, him and I had butted heads. uh, And, of course, he would probably disagree on some of the details of this. Um, But there were some things that I felt like even uh, that involved another 501c3 that that the church was a part of and the interaction between the two and some of the decision-making wasn't going through the proper channels, and I remember calling that out because I felt that was a little unethical. I also felt that uh, because of a situation that happened to me um, where I got hurt basically by a freak accident, no one's fault, um, kind of on the job, and that required surgery, that uh, instead of addressing the individual, and having that individual, you know, hopefully use their homeowner's insurance. Uh, instead, they, um, the church paid for it. And they paid for it, I think, for, uh, this is my own opinion, but for a, a few things. One would be to uh, not have to deal with the pride of this man and the fact that something happened. And even though it was a freak accident, he uh, was... Uh, quite offensive and um, belligerent and threatened to sue me even though the accident happened to me and and, I mean it was just a huge mess so with that being said uh, I think there were some uh, unethical things that were happening because the the, the church was unaware 
that those finances, their ties were going to paying to these medical bills and they were kind of kind of hidden in all of that. And so I kind of, all that being said, I, I kind of thought there was some, some um, misleading at best and unethical at worst uh, decisions that were kind of being had on behalf of the church. And, and at that point, I remember at some point during an exchange, and of course I had said some things even uh, to the to the pastor um, that you were emotionally charged, and I had to go back and I had to repent to him for and say that I am sorry. Um, but you know, I was called unfit for ministry. Um, you know, and uh, I had been called that by some other deacons. Um, and before that pastor left, he met. He told me and looked me in the face and said, "Hey, don't underestimate." Uh, person A and person B, uh, their loyalty to me. And those were some of the, the other people that kind of began the process of trying to get me, I think, out of the church or or at least played a part in some of the decision-making or um, at the very least were some of the people that sent me some, uh, some interesting uh, messages on my Facebook. So if you're friends with me and you're curious, you know, why for about six to eight months, I kind of just went off the grid. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Instagram. I wasn't on Twitter. I deleted all my accounts. It was because I was getting some mean messages from members who didn't know the whole situation, um, but basically were being told something. And so they were messaging me some mean things. And um, anyway, so it just didn't create a healthy environment. And I didn't feel like it was healthy for me to respond to those because uh, if I did, I didn't feel like it was going to honor Christ, and so I didn't respond. So so basically, the hurt came from just kind of feeling betrayed in, in that. Um, I remember um, towards the end of my time there having emotional breakdowns. I remember, uh, and we lived in the parsonage, I remember in the dining room area of one day just sobbing. I mean, I mean, just falling to the ground and sobbing, and, and I'm... You know, like, what the heck is going on with me? And I just couldn't stop. Um, and I couldn't gather myself. And, you know, of course, Lindsay, my wife, was concerned. And, and uh, you know, I've, I feel like that's one of a few times that I just kind of buckled under the pressure. I just buckled under the pressure. I couldn't keep at the same pace. I couldn't do it. And not only was my body, but my heart and my mind was just saying no. Uh, this is also one of the times that I had gained the most weight in my life um, and, uh, you know, probably had gained about 25 pounds in that season um, just because I wasn't taking care of my body and was too busy doing these other things and that I thought were more important, which, you know, I've since learned a little bit about. And uh, so that led Lindsay and I to uh, invite the other elders over to our house and, uh, had she had written a letter and I had decided and sought counsel that I was going to resign from the church uh, for the sake of my own soul and my family. And when I tried to resign, um, I was talked, I was encouraged by the other elders to not resign, um, but instead to take a sabbatical um, that they would offer me a break, that that would maybe give me some time to kind of clear my head. Um, and I said, okay, we waited for a while. Uh, it never happened. It never came to fruition. Nothing was planned. Nothing was scheduled. Uh, so we called another meeting at our house. My wife was there. Um, and, you know, just 
if I remember correctly, you know, her just kind of pleading just to have her husband back, right? And so, um, because I just wasn't there. Um, anyway, so I said, hey guys, I really need this break. Um, and I said, and this is where my soul was. And I just said, hey man, guys, if, you know, this is, if I don't get this break, then I, I just can't, I just can't continue. Like I need to resign because I, I, I just can't do this, you know, and you guys had said that you were going to, you know, give me this, give me this break off, this time off, um, which in return, they took as an ultimatum um, and had gone and called my wife and I both entitled um, to other people, which led to some of those Facebook messages and all the joys that came with that. So all that being said, uh, they said, okay, we're going to talk about it at our next elders meeting. Um, that same week, we go out and anoint some person with oil, um, a lady in our church, which was the first time I've ever done that. That was kind of a, a sweet, kind of an interesting experience. Um, and then the very next day, we had our elders meeting, and I remember sitting down in the chair, and uh, one particular elder looked at me and said, hey, we would like to ask for your resignation. And it, had been, it was apparent when I stepped into the room that they had already met prior to me getting there. And I kept my head down and I just said, okay, uh, is this unanimous? And they said, yes. Um, I had another uh, elder look me in the face and say, um, there's nothing more that we can do for you or your family. And um, I said, okay. So at that point, I uh, stood up. One of the elders tried to hug me. Uh, I was not at a place to receive that, and I just said, "Hey, please don't, don't, don't touch me." And uh, then I left that, left the church, left the office, walked across the street back to the parsonage, told my wife, and she was flabbergasted, in tears, uh, didn't really, uh, I mean, couldn't comprehend because she she had just heard them say that they were going to, to honor that sabbatical. So. Um, and by the way, during that sabbatical, our goal was to be a part of the church, to still be, be members, but to step down from leadership just for a few weeks um, and, you know, just kind of rest and, and just worship with our church family and to be a part. And so that was our goal. It wasn't like we were leaving uh, states or we were moving. It was just, hey, a timeout. So anyway, um, after that, uh, you know, that's kind of where the initial hurt and kind of betrayal kind of began. And. And then again, a narrative of that um, that differs from mine was told to the deacons, which was then told to other people, and uh, which then ensued in you know messages to me and and when I met people in public and things, it was just really really difficult. Um, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. My wife and I and, and kids didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the church family via the stage. Uh, we said we would say goodbye. Uh, in between services and the foyer, at that point, uh, I only had one elder uh, come up to me, and um, it's my understanding that that elder was in position to, quote, not be a jerk, and unquote, and then go, go talk to me. So it was a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, I had very few people uh, hug us or say goodbye to us. Um, some people were completely shocked. There wasn't, you know, some, some, some friends of ours were completely shocked. But there wasn't a whole lot of people that, that really kind of knew um, the whole situation. Um, and there's still some things that I'm, important details that I'm leaving out 
but I don't necessarily think it's healthy to go into the he said, she said any further than that. Um, just because, you know, I don't know that it's going to help anybody. So when they asked about resignation, I, of course, gave it. And I felt like, um, you know, hey, I, 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 I had two options. One, I, I could draw this out to a church vote um, or I can accept. And so I had a high, I have still do have a high view of church leadership. And I felt like I needed to submit to the other, to the other elders. And so I gave them my resignation and I had a love for the church and still do um, that just didn't allow me emotionally and spiritually to kind of go there and and to create some sort of division. And so I just felt like to take the high road was to just say, okay, and to just walk away. And so uh, we did that. Um, I never got to tell the students in the student ministry uh, goodbye. I didn't get to tell them exactly, or, you know, not that it was healthy for them to know all details, but I didn't get the chance to to give them anything. And so on top of that, the, the place where I work, uh, I work technology for a school district in the same town, a very small town. And um, so it was incredibly awkward when I would see those students and, and didn't have an opportunity to, you know, I didn't want to bash anybody or bash, you know, their pastors or bash anything else. And so um, I was also accused of trying to take over the church um, by one particular elder, um, which is a little ironic. Um, for two reasons, well, for three reasons. One is I don't even know how you would do that. It's not like you're overthrowing a government. So if someone could enlighten me on even how it's even possible, uh, that's interesting. So point A. Point B, I, I had um, no desire, uh, zero desire to be uh, a lead pastor there or any sort of thing like that or to to kind of take on too more than I was taking. If anything, I had taken way too much. And, and I did feel like I was being called away from student ministry and I wanted to do more teaching and more counseling, honestly. And um, so my dream job at that point had been, okay, man, I'd love to be a second chair guy, uh, like an associate pastor of spiritual formation. And I'm so fascinated by the process of where people are at. And and so I, I, I still, I, I had no desire to um, be be over that right like so to be the main guy that was just not at all uh even on my radar it wasn't even something that uh i remotely wanted to do but needless to say that's another narrative that was kind of told um the other pastor um you know was still in contact with these other elders and 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 deacons and so you know uh, it, it just created this kind of awkward atmosphere and, and, and still is awkward. So anyway, all that to say, and again, I know they would disagree with me on these, you know, facts and, and you know, what I deem as fact and, and what I deem as my experience. Uh, I'm trying to see it. I can only see it from my point of view, right? So that's kind of where I was at. So that explains kind of the situation. Um, I then... Uh, which led to some kind of the aftermath. In the aftermath, we we had purchased a house um, in Red Oak, Texas, which is probably about you know 15, 20 minutes away from the town that we work. Uh, and uh, we're very grateful. It was our first home to purchase, and and um, I'm doing this podcast in the house right now, and I'm really thankful for it. And God just really provided. I mean, He just man, He just stepped up in that in that time and provided a home and. 
and then uh, we ended up going to an, another church, which I'm very thankful for, and um, you know, has been a very loving place for us to be in, and and uh, so I am grateful for our church family right now, uh, new church family, and, and the ways that they've kind of loved me and cared for me, and and have kind of been there for for not only me but for Lindsay and and, and for my kids, and, and so that's that's huge. So. The aftermath uh, led to a bunch or a few bad months, and those bad months uh, led to uh, depression, even more so. Um, my anxiety uh, surprisingly decreased. I, um, you know, so the, the, the medications that I was taking prior for anxiety, I was now off of it because I was no longer under the same amount of stress as I was in ministry. Uh, but the, de- the depression piece was definitely strong and, you know, affected my marriage and it affected um, how, I, how I live life. And then I noticed that um, it just, I had a lot of anger. I, and I don't know if you've ever experienced burnout or you've experienced something like this, but it's, it's just like a fog. It's just like the sense of bewilderment where, man, I just didn't know, is it okay to feel this way? Is it not okay to feel this way? Is is uh, was my time in seminary a waste? Was all these years of training a waste? Am I personally a waste? Did I mishear God's calling? Do I even believe in a calling? Uh, do I even believe in the idea of vocational ministry? Um, if this is the church, then I'm out. You know, I don't want any part of the church if this is what it's going to look like. And I mean, there were just all sorts of things going on in my head and heart. Um, and I began to, to really turn to other things that were unhealthy. Um, I had uh, then turned to, uh, you know, alcohol and had sort of uh, a few times really kind of uh, overindulged and used that as a way to kind of numb my overactive mind and, and thinking, uh, which obviously is a very terrible short-term solution and uh, which led to abstinence of any sort of alcohol for months and uh, hasn't even been since probably the last month, maybe the last month and a half, where there's been some trust built up in my marriage and and with my wife, who's incredibly gracious and has been incredibly supportive uh, through all of this. And um, we've developed some trust, and and I've invited her into that process. You know, if I want a beer while we're, you know, grilling out or or a glass of wine with dinner uh, or a glass of bourbon, and and you know, I do like bourbon, but no more in, in an over-consumptive basis. And so, you know, inviting her in that process, which allowed us to become more of a team player. And I realized how much in my marriage I had not been a team player and how selfish in many ways I had been and how I was not involved as much in my kid's life as I would like to be and I wasn't helping her in a way that she needed to be helped. And uh, I couldn't see that when I was in ministry. And I left all the t- I left dinner all the time, and I with my family to go help somebody else when my own family at home needed me. And so now was me learning of okay, well, how do I love them um, well? So with that being said, you know uh, the al- the alcohol consumption um, is not an issue. My relationship to that has changed, um, and it wasn't so much an alcohol issue as it was, it was a heart issue because. You know, that also turned into spending money and, and, you know, just kind of whatever in that season to kind of numb myself, right? So it wasn't just alcohol. It was just a, a matter of my heart, man. My heart turned towards um, 
focusing on money, focusing on possessions, focusing on uh, distraction, focusing on TV too much, focusing on uh, things I probably shouldn't be listening to, and, and, and just, man, just kind of like go in the opposite direction, almost in a sense of rebellion against what I have been living in ministry. And if you've been in ministry, vocational ministry, you can sometimes feel like you're sort of in a prison, like you have to kind of look a certain way. And like those stats say, you know, 94% of pastors feel they need to have, they feel the stress of needing to have a perfect family. And of course, uh, I fell into that as well. And so, you know, when the shackles were off, it got crazy. And so, and uh, the Lord has since brought me back in a healthy way. I think, um, you know, so now we'll enter phase three, which is kind of part of that healing. Um, and, and, and the healing process has been really sweet. I, you know, a lot of the things that, that, that I think that I held on to that I felt like were non-negotiable, some doctrines or some theological positions in my life, uh, I realized didn't matter as much as I thought. And so when we went to our new church, I ask myself these two questions. Do they love Jesus and do they, do they love people? And those were the two things that I was after. And uh, I feel like my church is, of course, no, no church is perfect. It, it, it is certainly not perfect by any means. But I feel like those two things, they, they do pretty well. And, um, so that was kind of, kind of, uh, how do I say this? Revamping my theology subconsciously, maybe even, um, after asking months of just open-ended, you know, uh, disparaging questions about God and faith and life. And, you know, honestly, just kind of wanting to say, you know what, F it all. I just give all of it up and, and, uh, but I couldn't do that. Uh, God held on to me and, um, I'm thankful for that. So in this healing process, uh, I've just realized that it's really hard to judge other people that you've never met or had a relationship with, um, which has helped me love different people in our culture that are more marginalized, um, people in the, uh, LGBT community, um, instead of judging them, uh, learning to love them as people. Um, and that just because, you know, it's, it's one thing in a classroom or it's one thing in a church to, to kind of give, you know, treat someone as a label or a project. It's another thing to get to know the person. It's, it's another thing to build a relationship. And so I think God had said, hey, you need to just build relationships with all kinds of people. And the relationships that you've been having have been pretty surface level, Josh, and, um, you know, your social media stuff and, and things that you had done in the past had all just kind of been this pseudo relational thing. And, and I'm calling you away from that. So if you're going to have any relationship, it's going to have to go deep. And I just said, okay. So that led to not having a lot of relationships, but the ones that I did have, I felt like got sweeter with time. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. So, yeah, so I've kind of learned some of those things. Uh, I began to read a lot of Henry Nowen. Um, and I know that, you know, well, there's always things that people always disagree with, so I can't really, I don't need to give a caveat here, but, um, he's a, he died in 96, but man, just a fantastic author. And, 
Uh, he's a book that man, goes with me pretty much anywhere, and it's called The Inner Voice of Love, and it's his uh, journal to himself in 1988 when he was helping with uh, when he was living and helping with a community of mentally handicapped people uh, called Daybreak, and and uh, this is his journal to himself during this season of depression. And of course, where was I in? I was in the season of depression, and so reading some of his stuff really connected. And got me out of my head and into my heart. And see, seminary really, and again, I know that, you know, I was not trying to, to beat up on Southern Seminary last week. Um, and, I, and I know Charles was not either. Um, but, you know, we understand some of the limitations that come across with seminary. And the seminary, any seminary is meant to serve the church. And as soon as it stops doing that, then it stops being effective. Um, and one of the things that I felt like in my experience that didn't help me or didn't really serve the church was the fact that it kept me in my head and appealed mainly theologically to my head, but rarely did it aim to get to my heart and really aim to get to practical things. And man, what do you really think and really believe, right? Because our functional beliefs are really our only beliefs, if we're honest. And so to say you cognitive, and I used to always say this, well, I cognitive, cognitively believe something, but you know, I practically functionally don't, um, since then, I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, whatever your functional belief is that, that you're acting on, that technically is probably your only really belief. You, you, you want to, everything else is just, you know, something you say, right? So uh, the Henry Allen had a bunch of good things. And uh, even if you turn to page three in this book, it says this. It says, there are two extremes to avoid, being completely absorbed in your pain and being distracted by so many things that you stay far away from the wound that you want to heal. And so, man, I I took that to heart. And how do I work around this abyss? Like, like how do I work through that? And uh, I also picked up the sport of cycling during that time from a buddy. And uh, so I started cycling and, and getting out of my bike and just take taking off for, you know, 20 miles or whatever. And, and being able to just kind of clear my head was just incredibly helpful and and man I just just that was a really really helpful season that, that, that I'm in I also want to share with you uh, some verses that I think really helped me during this season and continually do um, and the main thing that I kept coming back to like a mantra sort of in my head was just I'm safe and I'm okay and and in ministry and then post-ministry, I just felt not safe emotionally, and I felt not okay. And if if you're out there and you're somebody who's listening, who struggles with anxiety, with an anxiety disorder, um, and I, I have a generalized anxiety disorder, and anxiety can oftentimes feel like it's stalking you, right? Like you, you feel like, okay, well, I have a panic attack is one thing, but now I have this oh my gosh, when's the next one going to happen? And you just constantly feel like it's it's just coming for you, right? And you're just waiting for it to catch you. And sometimes it just catches you in the weirdest of places. You could be in the middle of a grocery store. You could be on vacation. You could be some, you know, asleep and you wake up and you're in this place. And so some of these scriptures have kind of helped a little bit with that and have um, helped me work through some things. But uh, Romans 8 obviously is... A fantastic chapter. Um, 
but particularly uh, Romans 8 and uh, 35 through 39. And just remembering that, man, there's nothing that, that can separate me from the love of God, right? Like not church hurt, not uh, a deacon, not uh, an elder, not a bad experience, not a naysayer, not uh, myself, not a sin that I struggle with or not um, any of those things, right? It, it's this reminder that nothing, not even myself, man, that is wild, can separate me from the love of God. Um, and, and I'm secure in him. So the whole anxiety thing was because you feel insecure. And so finding verses that focus on the security of who I am in Christ is important. Colossians 3.3 3 talks about how I'm hidden with Christ and God. And Philippians 3.20, that I'm a citizen of heaven. Uh, Romans 8.28, obviously all things work for the good of those who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, Romans 8.1 I am free from condemnation. You know, there were times that I I have to own my own junk. And in the seasons of burnout, there were, I can't just be a victim. There were lots of things that I did that contributed to that situation. There were reactions, there were responses that were ungodly and unhelpful that I had. Uh, there were decisions that I said yes to that contributed to burnout when I should have said no to and the reason I said yes is because my identity had somehow been wrapped up in what I was doing and I had to continually feed that ego. And to feed that ego is to take on more and more and more. And so when I realized that it's not so much about what I do, but more about who I am and being present in Christ, then I began to, to be, feel comfortable saying no to more things. Hebrews 4.16, um, I can find grace and mercy in a time of need. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7, uh, man, I have not been given a spirit of, of fear um, or of timidity, some translations, but of power, love, and self-discipline, some say sound mind. Um, and then, of course, the, the Psalms, you know, reading through, you know, David and, and his ups and downs just kind of helped me understand that it's okay to feel. Um, and so, and, and there are two kind of things that we talk about in our home and, and you know, Here's one of them. Um, in the past is regret. In the future is anxiety. But only peace can be experienced in the present. And if you think about it, only grace can really be felt in the present. We have future grace awaiting us. We have grace covering our sin behind us. There's no condemnation. But to really experience grace is can only happen in the present. And so that's... Um, that's certainly one thing that, that we've held on to. The other thing is um, emotions. I spent a good time of my life running from my emotions or being so overwhelmed by my emotions and that I didn't know what to do with them, which is what led to some panic attacks even as a child because I feel and I'm a guy, you know, I'm probably not the stereotypical dude. I, I feel and when I feel, I feel very deeply. And... Um, that can be good in some areas and that can be bad in some other areas, I suppose. Um, but I spent a good, you know, time of my life thinking, okay, well, I got to take my emotions to my head because, you know, in doctrine and theology and just all these things and all these studies and all this is just really it's aiming at, at the head. And so that's where you begin to process and, and take everything. Um, but instead, I'm learning to 
learned this. And this is something that uh, my pastor back in Louisville had told me. And uh, I love him. And man, this statement has been so good for me. And it's this. um, Emotions make wonderful educators, but they make terrible gods. They teach us a lot about what's going on inside of us, um, how we're relating to God, how we're relating to other people, uh, but they're not to be necessarily worshipped. But they are to big knowledge, right? They can teach us something. And I spent a good time in my life stifling all emotion, thinking that emotion was bad. And our culture can sometimes tell men that emotions are bad. Um, and you believe that enough, and the next thing you know, you're sobbing on the dining room floor. Uh, but you know, now I'm going, okay, well, how do I feel that? And, and, and then learn from that. And, and what is God trying to speak to me through these emotions? If we're creating the image of God, then the emotions themselves are, you know, yes, they're part of the fall, but or they can be affected by the fall, you know, in Genesis 3. But at the same time, they God has emotions and, and we are given them. And they're not inherently these evil things, I think, in and of themselves. And, and before someone emails me and, and tells me that, uh, you know, the heart is deceitful above all ways. Yes, I'm aware of that. So you don't need to, you can spare me that, that email. Um, and, uh, and if someone else emails me and says, hey, well, you know, you just need to read your Bible more uh, in your depression and anxiety and, and you don't need medical help or counseling or any of those type of things that I experienced, um, I would remind you of the Pharisees, and when they see somebody blind or injured, they look at that man and they go, well, whose sin was it, his or his parents? And so, you know, it just seems like it's, we want to blame everything on just this kind of like, well, you did this, you know, this kind of sin, and you just, it's because you're not reading your Bible more, you're not doing this. Um, And that's not how it works, right? I mean, you know, and even in the Bible, James, the book of James says, you know, to receive the implanted word with meekness. Okay, well, how do I receive it, man? It's not just a matter of reading and, and storing up knowledge. And yes, the Bible does say, I store your word up in my heart, so I may not send it against you. I, I get that. But there's an, an, an element that we need to not just read it. We need, by the aid of the Holy Spirit and just ourselves, I guess, I don't know, to learn to receive it. Um, and sometimes we can get so conceited by reading it and that we're in so much of our heads that we are benign to ever knowing how to accept it. Um, so anyway, that's something that I'm learning and, uh, yeah. So, you know, my story is not ended. It's still in progress. And and that's kind of the reason why I wanted to start this, that I wanted to start this podcast was I knew there were other people like me who had had burnout and, you know, and, and, who have experienced what I've experienced. And, and now I'm going, okay, well, God, am I ever going to be in vocational ministry again? Should I ever? And and the thought of ever being paid by a church um, terrifies me just due to the, the politics of it. And um, I'm kind of in a career now that allows me to do things like this freely without the fear of, well, you know, if someone hears this, then are they going to fire me or, or, you know, I I don't have to deal with those thoughts anymore. And I'm thankful for that. So, but I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen in five years. And I don't know what God wants for me um, in that area yet, but I'm just trying to live in the present and take each day as it comes and be thankful for what God has done, is doing, and will do. 
Um, and so anyway, um, yeah, I want this podcast to be something that people can hear. And uh, I hope this helps. You know, like I said, I never intended on fully sharing my story. Um, and if you have questions and, and you have thoughts and you're like, hey, I, I want to know more about this part or how did you do with this? You can always email me at spiritual burnout um, podcast. So spiritual burnout podcast at gmail.com. And I promise you, uh, if you email me and you have a question and you're asking how to deal and how to process through life and ministry, I promise you that I will answer you. Um, and I will pray over that before I send it to you. And, um, and I hope that it will be good for you. So anyway, that's pretty much all I have. And uh, I don't know if that's all my story so far, but I uh, hope that it helps. And until then, we'll talk to you later. Take care.